everyone, we're going to start this episode with an introduction to our newest initiative, Medicine Basecamp. The COVID-19 outbreak is bringing physicians from all specialties and subspecialists to the front line. We created Medicine Basecamp as our medicine refresher to help with the acute management of medicine presentations while on the wards. Each week is themed by subspecialty and has five days of high yield practical management. We'll give you a podcast, associated resources and infographics and practical management tips on managing these acute presentations. You can read through one post a day or many at a time, whatever fits your schedule best. You can find Medicine Basecamp on our website at www.theinternetwork.com forward slash Basecamp. As always, thank you for helping. Thank you for caring for our patients and thanks for tuning in. Now onto our episode. It's 3 a.m. on call, that witching hour where bad things happen. And you've just watched your patient, Mr. Doe, being wheeled over to the med surge ICU. About 40 minutes ago, you got a worried call from his nurse that he was feeling weak and clammy. Like I might pass out, he says. His heart rate then was 132, blood pressure 65 over 40, and he was febrile with a temperature of 39.5 degrees Celsius. Earlier in the day, his blood cultures had come back positive for E. coli, and you knew your senior had started him on ceftriaxone. You asked the nurse to get another large bore IV in, and you've already bolused him two liters of Ringer's lactate, wide open, he said. But his systolic blood pressure continues to be in the 70s to 80s. You call the rapid response team at your hospital for help. You're glad to see that the ICU resident came down pretty quickly. And as they wheel the patient down to the unit, you hear words like, he needs presser support, and do we have central access? And let's get an art line in and a pressure bag ready. You have only a fuzzy idea of what pressers are. Are they the same as inotropes? And frankly, the difference between dopamine and dibutamine, norepinephrine and phenylephrine has always seemed more relevant to ICU than internal medicine. Today, your patient needs pressers and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. This episode is entitled A Tighter Squeeze, An Introduction to Pressers. All right, time for a physiology review. Pressers is a catch-all phrase that describes vasoactive medications that are used for circulatory or hemodynamic support. This includes vasopressors and inotropes, and it's important to differentiate between the two. Vasopressors are a class of drugs that cause both arteriolar vasoconstriction and venoconstriction, thereby increasing the mean arterial pressure, or MAP. Inotropes are drugs that increase cardiac contractility. Practically speaking, however, many of the drugs we'll talk about today have both vasopressor and inotropic effects. Now, in order to better understand how each pressor works, we'll briefly review the receptors that they target to help provide hemodynamic support. First up, we have the alpha-1 adrenergic receptor, which is found primarily in vascular smooth muscle. Activation of the alpha-1 adrenergic receptor causes significant vasoconstriction and increases systemic vascular resistance. 
In addition, activation of this receptor also causes venoconstriction, which increases venous pressure and therefore facilitates increased venous return. Beta-1 adrenergic receptors are found primarily in cardiac muscle, where it mediates inotropy and chronotropy, meaning it can increase cardiac contractility and heart rate respectively. Together, this increases cardiac output with minimal vasoconstriction. Beta-2 adrenergic receptors are also found in vascular smooth muscle, but activation of this receptor actually does the opposite of the alpha-1 adrenergic receptor. With beta-2 adrenergic receptors, we get vasodilation, which thereby decreases systemic vascular resistance. Incidentally, beta-2 receptors are responsible for other effects such as smooth muscle dilation and bronchi. Remember, that's why beta agonists like salbutamol work so well in asthma. A trick to remembering the location of beta-1 and beta-2 is one heart, two lungs, or beta-1 for location in the heart, and beta-2 for location in the two lungs. Next up, dopamine. This is a bit of a funny one. Dopamine receptors are found in the mesenteric, renal, and coronary circulation and cause vasodilation when activated. Lastly, we have V1 receptors, which are found in the smooth muscle of the splanchnic, renal, coronary, and systemic vasculature. Activation of this receptor ultimately leads to an increase in intracellular calcium and induces vasoconstriction. Now that we've reviewed the basic physiology, let's move on to the approach. When and why do we need vasopressors specifically? Essentially, pressors are needed in situations of hemodynamic shock, where the blood pressure is too low to ensure adequate tissue perfusion. Recognizing and initially resuscitating shock is a critical skill for any physician. As a quick recap, remember that there are four broad categories of shock. Hypovolemic, where you have intravascular volume depletion due to blood loss, fluid loss, or third spacing. Hypovolemic, where you have intravascular volume depletion due to blood loss, fluid loss, or third spacing. Cardiogenic, where you have some form of pump failure affecting the heart's ability to maintain adequate forward flow. Obstructive, where circulation either in or out of the heart is impeded, for example, by cardiac tamponade, tension pneumothorax, or massive pulmonary embolism and distributive shock, where systemic vascular resistance is low due to massive arterial or venous vasodilation, for example, in severe sepsis, anaphylaxis, spinal cord injury, or endocrine emergencies. Some people prefer the acronym SHOCKY for septic, hypovolemic or hemorrhagic, obstructive, cardiogenic, anaphylactic with a K, and endocrine to help remember these categories of shock. Now you might be thinking, okay, so I know the different types of shock, but how do I recognize it? What's the magic blood pressure cutoff number that tells me my patient is in shock? Well, this isn't an easy question to answer. If you've read the recent sepsis updates, for example, you'll know that these definitions are constantly evolving and that evidence of end organ dysfunction secondary to hypoperfusion is more important than an absolute number cutoff. However, for the purpose of this episode, we'll assume that shock is a mean arterial pressure of less than 65 despite adequate fluid resuscitation. The next question we ask is, how do I know which presser to use? 
In order to know that, we need to know how each vasopressor works. On this podcast, we're going to focus on five key pressors and the ones that you'll see used most commonly. Norepinephrine, vasopressin, epinephrine, dopamine, and phenylephrine. You'll recognize norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine. They're just synthetic versions of our body's own endogenous catecholamines. Phenylephrine and vasopressin are slightly different. Now, we're going to try to go through this systematically. With each presser, we're going to talk about the presser itself, the receptor it acts on, and the clinical scenario in which it's used. First up, norepinephrine, also known as levofen. This is the most common presser you'll encounter, and frequently your first-line presser in undifferentiated situations. Norepinephrine has potent alpha-1 adrenergic effects, some beta-1 activity, and minimal beta-2 activity. In other words, it produces potent vasoconstriction, thereby increasing the systemic vascular resistance and blood pressure with perhaps a mild increase in cardiac output. Norepinephrine is the first-line agent for septic shock and is also a good initial presser for undifferentiated shock, as it has fewer adverse effects compared to dopamine and epinephrine. Next, vasopressin. After norepinephrine, vasopressin, also known as antidiuretic hormone, or ADH, is probably the second most common presser you'll see used in an ICU setting, particularly for septic shock. You will most frequently encounter vasopressin as a second-line presser in septic shock patients who don't respond optimally to initial catecholamines such as norepinephrine. The synthetic analog acts on the V1 receptor we discussed earlier. Vasopressin increases systemic vascular resistance and blood pressure by producing potent vasoconstriction in the splanchnic, renal, and coronary circulation. Vasopressin is different from the other pressors as it is used as a continuous infusion as an on and off fixed dose rather than being titrated up or down like norepinephrine. Next up, we have epinephrine. Epinephrine has mostly alpha-1 and some beta-adrenergic effect, causing vasoconstriction and an increase in heart rate, stroke volume, and cardiac output. You'll be most familiar with this drug in the setting of anaphylactic shock and in a cardiac arrest or ACLS scenario, but it's also used as a second or third line agent for septic shock for patients who fail to respond to traditional pressor therapies. Keep in mind that while epinephrine can increase blood pressure, it also increases the heart rate and can cause tachycardias and tachyarrhythmias. In addition, it can cause ischemia, lipolysis, hyperglycemia, and increased lactate. In severe septic shock, there is also concern that epinephrine can also impair blood flow in the splanchnic circulation, leading to gut ischemia, stress ulceration, and organ dysfunction. For these reasons, epinephrine is a second or third line presser of choice when initial presser therapies with norepinephrine and vasopressin have failed. Dopamine is our next presser, and it's an interesting one. Its effects are dose dependent. At low doses, it acts purely on the dopamine receptor, causing vasodilation and increased cardiac output. At medium doses, it acts primarily on the beta-1 receptor, which, as we know, increases cardiac contractility and heart rate. At high doses, it acts mostly on the alpha-1 receptor, which produces pronounced vasoconstriction. You will likely see dopamine used in the CCU to improve cardiac output and heart failure, but it has fallen out of favor due to its arrhythmogenic nature. We'll close with phenylephrine, which is probably the easiest to understand of the five pressors we've talked about in this episode. 
phenylephrine acts purely on the alpha-1 receptor. In other words, it produces pure vasoconstricting squeeze, thereby raising blood pressure. It has a fast onset, short duration, and is relatively heart rate neutral. So it is a good drug to use when you need to raise a patient's blood pressure without raising their heart rate. That said, there is concern that phenylephrine has variable effects on cardiac output, depending on the preload dependence of the patient. So we must be cautious about using it in patients with severe LV dysfunction. You'll see phenylephrine used most often in anesthesia, especially to counteract the hypotensive effects of epidurals. In the ICU setting, it doesn't have much use outside of push-dose use during procedures to quickly raise the blood pressure for a short period of time. This is also a safe presser to run peripherally, for instance, if you don't have central venous access. So again, it's a good push-dose drug to have on hand for acute resuscitation. All right, now going back to our original on-call scenario with Mr. Doe. At this point, you know that he clearly has evidence of septic shock due to E. coli bacteremia. He remains hypotensive despite fluid resuscitation, and you know he needs vasopressor support. Based on the receptor physiology and evidence we've reviewed so far, the best initial choice of presser to manage Mr. Doe's distributive shock is norepinephrine. Now, a big part of your job, once you start a patient like Mr. Doe on vasopressors, is to monitor for side effects and complications, and there can be many. We talked about some of them in the previous section, but we'll go through a few more. Firstly, most vasopressors, with the exception of phenylephrine, require central venous access, because these drugs can cause severe necrosis if they extravasate from veins into surrounding tissues. This remains a risk when vasopressors are run peripherally for a prolonged period of time. At prolonged high doses of vasopressors, limb necrosis and ischemia is also a concern. That said, never be afraid to start a vasopressor peripherally if you're in a bind and need to resuscitate a patient before central access can be obtained. Mr. Doe will also require continuous blood pressure monitoring with an arterial line if possible to allow for continuous hemodynamic assessment and drug titration. Cardiac monitors will also be important as most pressors, particularly norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine can all induce tachycardia and tachyarrhythmias. All right, time for a medicine minute. The evidence for the use of norepinephrine in septic shock largely comes from the SOAP-2 trial in 2010, which randomized 1,679 patients with shock, 62% of whom had septic shock, to norepinephrine or dopamine. At 28 days, there is actually no difference in all-cause mortality between dopamine and norepinephrine, but there was a significantly higher rate of arrhythmias in the dopamine group. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Internet Work entitled A Tighter Squeeze, an Introduction to Pressors. This episode was written by Dr. Varuna Prakash, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Alberto Goffey, critical care, and Dr. Lisa Richardson, internal medicine. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Theme song by Lakshma Vizant Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic and extra resources at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.